All right. Welcome to the Action Shooting Show. Um, as always, sponsored by Primer & Co. Today, uh, I have on Logan Dudley, and then it's myself, Ryan Dixon. So, Logan, do you want to give, I guess, just a real quick uh, maybe background on yourself as far as whatever you want to share with how long you've been doing shooting sports, any of that? Sure, man. Um, yeah, I'm just... Um... I think I started running gun in 17 with uh, Matt Stinnett's match uh, at uh, the old Rock Castle. So, and I really didn't do much in the shooting sports prior to that. So, running gun was pretty much my my introduction to it. I've kind of branched out and done some local USPSA style matches since then, and um, uh, yeah, a couple other things here and there. But it's basically been running gun for me since then. So. What, and that's that's not a bad way to get into it. The the people of running gun are really awesome. So if you're gonna get into a sport, this is a, a good one to get into. <laughs> yeah, it's easy to get addicted. But I mean, I came to the sport already kind of excited about shooting and running. So when I found a sport that combined them, it's kind of like, <laughs> oh, here we go. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, you're one of the what I call the jackrabbits of this sport. There, there's a handful of guys that like just really put down blistering run times. And uh, I think it was Brian Ray early on kind of talked. He's like, listen, you know, there's, there's these guys who run really fast and they shoot. Okay. And once they figure out how to really, how to shoot, we're all going to be in trouble. And he's talking about like the people who are like, you know, quite a few of us came from like three gun and other stuff. So like we were pretty decent shooters and like fitness was okay, but we weren't, we weren't runners and you've right. kind of been one of those in the last couple of years who have, uh, and there's a handful of others, but that could run fast. And now you, I mean, you're, you're smoking everyone in the shoot times too. So. Well, I thank you for saying that. I, I hate to bring it to you though. I mean, I'm like <laughs> locally, not maybe quasi competitive locally as far as just running events. So, I mean, oh yeah. Well, yeah. They're way faster than me, and if they learn how to shoot, we're, we're all in trouble still. Myself. That, that's that's true, and there there's only so much that you can focus, and you know, time wise. I mean, the people who are really really fast runners, they that's all they do. So, but yeah, that's I true. mean, yeah. So, um, well, let's get started here. We're today we're going to be talking about the old eighteen defense, and it's the feral uh, running gun. Is that the Feral Ranch? Was that where it was at? Yeah, Feral Ranch is the name of the venue. And, I mean, to call it a venue is, I mean, I, I don't know that anything was done there prior to John using it for running gun purposes as far as shooting. You know, I think that was a, a first there, or at least from what I can tell, it was not set up for um, hosting that kind of thing. So it was just a ranch and... If I understand it right, he just he finds these these people that are willing to uh, host this type of event on their property and and leases it or comes to some kind of an agreement to let let them have the place for a weekend. But it's a, it was an awesome venue, even though it wasn't set up for shooting sports. You know, it's, it's plenty of uh, almost endless opportunities for ranges to shoot. You know, in different different directions safely, and so it was a great place to do it. Yeah, and from what I get, that's kind of the heart of, like, the early running gun that started down that way in, like, Texas and Oklahoma. And, like, there's just a lot of that big ranches with lots of room. And 
you know, they all have, I, I don't, elevation as far as like you've got different natural hills and mountain, you know, rock cropping, outcroppings and stuff. So I guess you have natural berms, you have natural kind of places to, you know, you shoot from here down into a valley or whatever. So, yeah, there's a yeah. lot of a lot of that that they can do down there. So, um, so as far as the match, the match flavor, um, as I always kind of call it, um, what what kind of makes that venue that match what it was? Well, first off, I'll say when we're talking about match, there was there was matches going on on Saturday and Sunday, and I actually signed up for both of them. If I'm going to go all the way to Texas. I might as well get everything in that they'll give me. <laughs> so. Um, so yeah, my wife and I took a trip and made a kind of vacation around it. And so the Saturday match is their what they call their series event, and um, that's the longer distance and more shooting stages. It ended up being about eight miles and seven shooting stages. And then Sunday is their uh, rivals event, is what they call that. And that's that was more like four miles with five shooting stages, and. Um, the course overlapped somewhat on the on the second day. A lot, I mean, a lot of it was stuff you'd run the day before, but the, he did change up a lot of the stages to try to keep it a little more fair for people that like me that got to do uh, both events. But um, I would say is if you're looking for like an overall flavor of what they're trying to do, at, at least at this event, um, there's a lot more emphasis and I'm kind of speaking, I'm, I'm thinking some people that are watching this are probably from the from the north, that's what they would say, compared to what you and I and some other people from that area are used to. There's a lot more emphasis on target acquisition than there is on just being able to maneuver and dispatch targets really quickly. You got to be able to find them, too, at this event, man. That was the that was the biggest challenge for me the whole time I was there was just being able to see these targets because he's uh he, there's a lot of hidden targets compared to what we're used to um they blend in with the backdrop intentionally they're put in placed underneath shade lines intentionally um you know under the, under the canopy of a tree um just a lot of different ways that he that he forced you into awkward positions to be able to find targets or suboptimal long-range shooting positions to be able to hit some of them. So um, I'd say that was the the flavor of this event, what he was uh, going for overall. Awesome. Yeah, and it's it, so it kind of reminds me, a lot of the, I guess, sniper matches, and especially like the team matches, um, seem like they have that. You come up in a place and like they, they don't tell you where it's at. I guess that's a good point. So I've shot pretty much everything east of the West Coast or east of the Mississippi. Um, Tiger has his match there in Missouri, but, um, the East coast in general, and when, even when we get natural terrain stuff, it tends to still be maybe a little more Bay. We, we just, the East coast doesn't have that, like, like what they have. I mean, you, you don't find ranches, you don't find big pieces of property, the size you do in Texas yeah, or, or the West, the West in general. So, so all of our stages are more compact and you know if we get long range it's like it's a field and it's not yeah. i mean i saw some videos of that where it's just everything's open and expansive and you got tall waving grass and you know people are shooting in someone had a great video had little arrows pointing at like where yeah. all the targets were 
and, and it was cool. I mean, but yeah, that's that's a challenge that um, I know Tiger's last zombie match at Rock Castle, he had a stage that was in woods. I think your furthest shot was only 100 yards, maybe it wasn't that far, but he had targets hidden in the woods. And uh, that that was really challenging for a lot of people. Um, so yeah, those that's that's something that you don't see as much over here. So that's that's a, a probably an interesting challenge for you. <laughs> yeah, it was different, and uh, I mean, I think I improved on it between from one day to the next. So, um, but it was definitely not something I was ready for going in entirely. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, and when we had targets over here, it's it's like I said, a lot of times we're shooting into trees and brush and. So it's it's definitely different than just a big wide like you know, <laughs> finding a target and all all of Texas skyline. All right, so uh, so we kind of covered the each day. Was there only one division then? Do they have anything anything um, like that? I believe the only division breakoff was what they called Warhorse, I think, and I think that was just a fifty plus age group kind of thing okay <clears throat> so no weight no uh weight divisions no different distances weighing in at the end of this one if there was i didn't see it and i was at the start finish line a fair amount so i thought i would have seen that going on but yeah um, that makes sense one division for for everything okay that's uh you know i mean i've done some of the plate divisions and different you know uh and i know i got a lot of friends that do the weight divisions but i, I can see just kind of a do do what you want on the match. <laughs> yeah. So that that's simple is sometimes uh, the better way. So uh, I guess real quick gear wise, um, you tend to run I think pretty light. I think you have pretty light like rifle or maybe pistol yeah. and light and weird. That's my setup. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do things a little different in a couple of regards. I'm one of the few that does the biathlon sling thing so two-shouldered biathlon style sling on the back of the rifle rifle is uh i don't know what it weighs at it it's it's probably a fairly light rifle but it's got a heavy barrel big 18 inch uh white oak armament barrel for longer range matches anyways i do have another upper that i can switch out for for 300 and less matches but um and then I do the everything, all my gear is on the belt. So I don't have anything on my, other than that two-shoulder rifle sling, this is where it's all at for me. Um, so nothing on my chest, nothing on the other parts of my back, except for those two, those two um, shoulder straps for the biathlon sling. And uh, let's, I, I feel like it lets a lot more heat get off of me, which it was 92 both days for a high uh, Saturday and Sunday in Texas. Luckily, I got to run early, fairly early both days. So I, I was out in it Saturday, but yeah, I feel like that setup lets a lot more heat off, makes me pretty maneuverable. Um, this has been a good good setup for me to run that way. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I generally haven't been a huge fan of a lot of stuff on my waist, but, um, but obviously yeah, that works for you. Yeah, it, it, it it's very uh, personal. So, so that you felt like that worked out pretty well at this match, the same as uh, anything else. Yeah, I don't think I had any complaints this time. I don't uh, I don't usually change things unless I have to. Although 
they have a uh, a rule down there, hard holsters only. And I've always had a, I've always had a super cheap soft holster on that belt. It's what I've used since the beginning. It's got a buckle strap that locks it in, and and uh, I've been chided for that more than once. But it's been great for me until now. But I it was it was in the rules pre-match. You can't have that. You got to have it. So I had to, and I didn't read the rules until fairly close to the match. So I had to kind of scramble and get that uh, holster in and hooked up. And I had very little time to practice with it at all, but it worked fine. So, um, and uh, running the M&P with the optic. Used to have a light on it, but the light won't go in the holster. So that came off for this match, but everything worked fine. I had one little sling, sling uh, problem on a stage when I was transitioning um from pistol to rifle where i got hung up on my water bottle holder and it's uh it was my fault entirely i just there's a there's a thing i have to remember to do when i come up to a stage i didn't remember to do it and that's you know just a mental flaw but other than that all the gear worked fine for me so awesome yeah so uh the the course you said there was basically two courses you had a what what I think well you said eight so a little over a ten k, and yeah. then uh, a f- well yeah then almost a little over a five k the next day. Yeah 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 they were both Is, both strong. I think that's why he quit calling them five k and ten k because he was getting too many complaints for them always being more than that. Uh, actually, yeah. you know the the Saturday course. Um, really comparable to heartbreak. I see you know you got your heartbreak shirt on there. Eight miles, uh, maybe somewhere around a thousand feet. I, my garment shut off. It had a had a problem, and I lost part of it. But I would estimate probably close to a thousand feet of climbing. Uh, really rough terrain, maybe maybe even a little more so than heartbreak. Uh, just big boulders in your in your path a lot. And I mean, you could give yourself one second to look up and try and find your next trail marker, and then you had to be right back down on the terrain, or you were going to turn an ankle. Uh, you had to really watch where each of your landings was coming down because it was super rough in a lot of places. Um, loose rock on a lot of the uphills and downhills, so you couldn't really cruise on either one. Kind of backsliding going up and then just being really safe coming down. But but all in all, I would say really comparable to the heartbreak course in, in overall difficulty and, and distance too. So. Okay. Yeah, and that's uh, I think on on one of the discussion groups we were talking about. You know, the, like the thing about heartbreak is like there's hills and stuff, but you're you're going a lot off path. So you got high grass you're going through, and they're actually uh, I know going down that hill to kind of the river bottom. There's some of those big rocks, and you know I think it's like a, a logging path or whatever. So sounds like you yeah, a little similar similar to that was this um was some of this on like access roads or is this just going through just Very ranch little. just Okay, awesome. There were there were some a couple of gravel kind of roads cut through this this pasture land where they would, like you said, access roads. They weren't much, but we didn't spend a ton of time on them. Um, certainly less than a mile uh, on the on the Saturday race on those gravel roads. I would say a lot of times he was steering you. Uh, we ran inside of like a limestone creek bed for a while. That was really cool. Um, and you know, it was a hard bottom creek bed. And you're not like slogging through the mud like like we've had to do in other places. It's um, hard bottom. 
And then um, a lot of times he was just steering you through. Sometimes there was a cattle path you were following, and sometimes it was like you could go any number of directions from there, and you just had to keep following the tape wherever he was steering you through it. It wasn't even really a path a lot of times. So there's cactus there and, and all kinds yeah. of rock formations, and it was cool. Yeah, that that's awesome. And that's I've said it on these shows before. I like the like off path, the off course, you know. I can go on a a trail anywhere, like to kind of get through woods or, you know, in this case, kind of just heading through parts of the, you know, desert or whatever that, you know, the geography is. I mean, that that's fun to me. It, you get to see things and um so that that sounds like an exciting course. I've not had a chance of getting down to Texas or Oklahoma yet and the match schedule's just not I don't have that right now, but but someday I'd like to be able to get out there and shoot them because it sounds like a, a they put on some good mashes down there. Yeah, I mean, I, I had gotten that as by reputation prior to going, and I think you know from what I posted on Facebook that I would generally agree with that. Like I, was, I had a lot yeah. of positive things to say about it. It was it was definitely a, a fun match in more ways than one, but I also came away pretty impressed with their system too. So. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. So um, here on the East Coast, to give background on the East Coast, um, most of the pretty much all the match directors I know use practice score. So um, if you've shot competition USPSA three gun, you're probably familiar with practice score. They have a run and gun application or a module, I guess you call it, and it works pretty well. It kind of lends itself to a certain way of doing a match, and on top of that, I. I haven't talked to anyone about this. I would be safe to assume that a lot of the matches that we do, the way they're run probably stems from the way that Matt Stennett runs his match matches, since he was the one that kind of brought it over here. And I'm, I think everyone who else who has picked up match directing, like Tiger and, and Allen and Todd and Stewart and like all the heartbreak guys and um, the Legion guy, like all those guys shot Matt's match before going on and doing their own. So I'd safe to say, the way that we do things on the East Coast kind of stems from that. Now, yep. over uh, down in Texas, uh, it's John, right, that runs these? Yeah. Or, the OED, the uh, OED matches are, are John Turk is at the head John of Turk. that. And, and so he's created his own application, I guess, um, mobile app and his own, like, format that goes with that. So maybe explain kind of what's different. Well, I I don't I, I should start with a disclaimer that I'm taking whatever I can take from the competitor standpoint. I don't know I wasn't familiar with that system going in. I didn't actually use the system from the yeah, RO yeah, side. Yeah. But I mean from from my point of view, it seems pretty darn slick. You know, the um the ROs are equipped with um a check-in phone or tablet and then a scoring phone or tablet and um, as soon as you get to a stage you just holler out your wristband number which you got at the registration so you know you're you're trucking up to a stage and 15 feet away I would just say 124 and he goes 124 and I'm on wait time and uh, that it was as simple as that I don't have to get off of my garment uh, workout and start my own wait time or, or mess with the phone or something and um, then once you walk up to the shoot line, your your wait time takes you all the way up to the shoot line. And in fact, 
if I understand it correct, it actually continues while you're shooting. And once you're done shooting the stage, they enter your time, the time that it took you to shoot the stage, and then it takes that time off of your wait time and puts you back on your run clock as soon as they hit enter. So, um, I mean, I thought it was I thought it was pretty pretty seamless. Although I've talked to John a little bit since the match and since I put all those posts up, and you know, he he, he wants to downplay it a little bit. He's he he likes to say it's all my ROs. My ROs are great, which is that that's not a lie. He does have a really tight group of ROs that that travel with him and do a lot of matches for him, so they know the system really well. So it was well run in that regard too, and that that. That probably had a lot to do with the efficiency. His ROs are, are great. Yeah, well, and and it is. The, the ROs are super important, um, and you don't want to downplay the match director because they really do set the tone tone for a whole match. Um, yeah, when I heard about that, I, I the, the app sounds really cool. I mean, I like that idea. Um, wait times are an unfortunate part of run and gun. It would be nice to have matches where you just didn't have it because then it's fair for everybody. But then you would have like, you can only have one person on the course at a time. So obviously that's not conducive for making this accessible for everyone. So, yeah. so I like the idea of that app and the more you automate like that, the easier it is to have things be accurate. J yeah. Just from putting on even local matches, things get, fat finger things get flip you know someone flips a number i mean it, it, there's a lot of ways that you can mess up like wait time and i i mean i've i think we've all ended a match and like seen results and been like that's not right like that per <laughs> you know whether it's someone's got a run time that like you know is physically impossible for their level of fitness or or the exact opposite you know they're like yeah you know there's errors so anything we can weed out is is good and i, I like the idea of that yeah, yeah. I tell you, I, I left with the impression. I guess what got me what got me thinking about all of the stuff that I posted about originally was there was a couple times where I would come up to a stage with I didn't I didn't have a lot of guys in front of me ever, but maybe three four guys in front of me, and I kind of got that that feeling that you get when that happens. Like, okay, here we go. Here's here's the way. You know, yeah. I, I don't know about I don't know about you, but that's usually kind of excruciating for me to sit have have to sit there and wait through all those guys to shoot. But it felt like that it that got churned through a lot quicker at, at these matches. Like I was up and shooting before I knew it when those when those happened. And, I, and that's what got me to thinking about like what are the efficiencies going on behind the scenes here because this seems to <clears throat> run pretty well. However, they're doing it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you said also they they do written stage brief. So instead of an RO reading you everything, then you come up and you read it for yourself. And then I guess yeah. do you do you have time to ask questions before the beep if you've got you concerns? do have you do have that opportunity. Um, I think they would rather you ask those questions to the check-in RO. So usually when you're you come up to the check-in RO, you're in some position there where you cannot see what's going on at the stage usually. So uh, that's a little different than a lot of matches that, that we've done also. Yeah. They usually yeah. have that going on somewhere else. So yeah, you look at your little poster, your little placard, and it's sort of intentionally vague. It gives you the details that you should need to know to get your gear straight for that shooting stage. 
so that you don't get up to the line, have to receive all that verbally, and then start making all your, your little changes with mags and stuff like that to get everything right where you want it. Uh, so all of that is supposed to be done before you get up to the shooting line, which I think is is a really great idea. And to to allow that all to happen on wait time is not something we're used to either. You know, usually that's you know it's kind of frowned upon. Sometimes it's stated yeah, in yeah. matches that you're not supposed to. Sometimes it's uh it's sort of left up to the ROs. And that just gives the ROs another thing to have to police too, if that's a rule that people can't be fooling with stuff on wait time. So to go the other direction with it and just say, yeah, fool with whatever you need to fool with, but be ready to shoot when you get up to the line. I thought that was a that was a really reasonable change to do it that way. Yeah. And that's what when I was asking a lot of questions about it, and some of the people that do those matches and RO and stuff were kind of filling me in. Because when I first heard about it, my initial concerns with doing all that on wait time is if people were going to kind of game wait time. So, um, and you kind of alluded to it. If you come up and you've got a really long wait time behind people, it's usually not an advantage. Like, yeah, your heart rate drops, but then you start getting a little stiff. You're, you know, and you're in especially as runners, like when your heart rate drops too much and you start running again, sometimes you get that like spike and it's just a real long wait time's not an advantage on the flip side, coming into a stage and just like hitting it. If your heart rate's still up real high is sometimes a, a disadvantage. You know, I've, I've shot matches where I've got no wait time and I come in and they start reading that brief. And, you know, if I didn't like walk up to the stage to let my heart rate drop, I, I was shooting it at, you know, 160. So, so wait time's kind of a, a, a mixed thing. And I, I had concerns like, well, are people going to like sit there and let their heart rate drop a little and kind of game this? But it sounds like in practice, that's not an issue. And I do know, you know, with what we do, like most of the matches we shoot, you're not supposed to do anything on wait time. Maybe sip water, but but not mess with your gear. You know, you're not allowed to, you're not supposed to put stuff down. And, and that happens. And I've been at stages and seen it happen when I'm running the clock and I, you just, I don't think it's people abusing the system. I think some people just don't know. And sometimes these rules aren't real, uh, well stated before the match. So uh, it does sound like that. That's a a good system. Kind of avoid some of that. Yeah. I thought so. Yeah. So, um, and and I, yeah, I kind of still see how maybe someone could game it, but but I guess in practice, maybe that's not the case. And I know a couple of people said, like, if you're just there kind of dragging heels and stuff like that, like the ROs are going to speed you along. I mean, even with the, I've caught the East Coast system, we're, we're still speeding people along there, too. I mean, you're, if, if someone shows up, you're just not letting them hang out and, you know, chill. Like, it's even if they're on their runtime, like, you, you got to get them going and get them on yeah. to the next stage. So. Well, I mean, I think if you had seen how big these stage descriptions were, and like I said, that was intentional, but I mean, it, it just doesn't take that much time to process what's there in front of you. So it's going to be pretty obvious if you're if you're just trying to drag your yeah. rest time out. But I mean, it's really, it doesn't take me long to come down off of it when I run into a stage. So I don't really want any more than... I don't know, 45, 60 seconds to sit there and, and internalize whatever I need to and, yep. and get my gear straight. 
maybe 90 seconds at the moment. I mean, there's it's it doesn't take long for it to be too much for me. Um, I know that that's probably different for for different guys, but um, I thought it worked real well just to just to come up. And there were several stages because I ran early. I ran out of runtime both or um, out of uh, wait time both days. So like the the last um, probably I don't remember for sure two maybe even three stages on Saturday. I didn't. I was I just ran up to him and shot him. Um, but you know, I, I still had wait time on those stages under this system. It started as soon as I got there and I, I, you know, I looked at the stage description, got it figured out, maybe moved a mag or something like that to get what I wanted to up first and then away you go. And that's perfect for me. That's enough time for me to come down. So. Yeah, I no, And I, I do, I do, I do like that. Um, and I wonder how that would translate because, you know, th- this is a good example, I guess, or kind of comparison because East coast matches and like those Texas matches are a little bit different with like, I think a heartbreak where like pretty much everything happens inside of a Bay. Not that they're USPSA stages, but you do have stage descriptions and kind of, um, you know, you'll have barricades. You'll have like shoot this from here and uh, maybe a little bit more specific stage briefs because yeah. We have a limited amount of area we can stick targets in, and we want to make it interesting and and not a, you know, if you just put a bunch of targets out there, you really can't hide targets that well in a 50-yard bay or 25-yard bay. So we've got to give you a little bit more stage description. So I'd be curious how that kind of translated over compared to a hide-and-seek target presentation where go here and find targets and then run to the yeah. stake and find the other targets. <laughs> I don't want to make it sound like it was all hide and seek. I think there was a more emphasis on that than we're used to, but there was a, there was a good variety of stages. Um, like he had um, a, a jungle run type pistol stage where you had a, a caution tape on one side that was just going zigzagging through the woods and you had to take targets off as you found them off of the, you know, follow the tape and engage off both sides. So that, you know, and then there were some that were, you know, like, uh, you just had a, a map on the stage description that gave you four shoot boxes and it just had pistol targets kind of off 180 and you you did have to find you didn't know exactly where they were but you kind of knew it was a fairly scripted stage more like what we're used to but so they weren't all hide and seek but okay yeah that's good to know yeah i mean i i i know some of the match directors here have talked to john before about you know maybe adopting that because um while practice score has been awesome for the shooting sports in general, um, as a kind of behind the scenes, the I, I guess some of the run and gun app is not as easy as it should be. <laughs> and there, there's some bugs in it. I know they had some some scoring issues at at heartbreak and, and in the past, just things don't add. And and even if it worked flawlessly, the whole wait time, like kind of automatically getting entered in, is definitely a I mean, wait time is a huge part of the sport, so I, I could see the benefits of having, you know, uh, something that automatically tracks that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, are there anything, I guess, is there some other stages maybe you want to talk about, or did you have a, a favorite one or anything like that? Um, a favorite one? I hadn't thought about that. You um, had a lot of... Uh, so there was two pistol only. I'm just talking through Saturday right now. There were two pistol only stages. I just kind of described them for you. Um, I think there were 
there were seven total stages, so there would have been three transition stages where you used both. No, it was four. I'm sorry, four where you transitioned from from one to the other, or sometimes back and forth. Um, I think my best placement was on a stage where you sprinted up a like a I don't know if it was a dry dam or just like a a really steep short maybe 15 or 20 foot climb up to this ridge and then you engaged an array that was down below you off of the off of the ridge and it was pistol and rifle targets in the same array so you cleared the i think you could do it in either order but i cleared rifle and then you had to drop mag clear rifle and and stage it there do your pistol targets and then you ran back down the ridge and back up the ridge and started again. You did that three times, and you had to engage with a different. It said you had to engage with a different rifle mag each time. So you're dropping your mag, clearing your chamber, and you're leaving all that stuff lay. When you sprint back up there, you pull a new one out and do the same array again. You did that three times. So you were hopping by the end of that. It was, it was challenging. Um, I, I threw, bet. definitely threw more misses out the third <laughs> time up the dry dam, uh, <laughs> and then. Um, so the 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 one of the stages that got everybody um, on Saturday, there was an extremely high failure rate. I think it was like ninety six or ninety five percent on stage six, which was the long range stage. You run all the way up to the top of this big giant hill and then shoot long range across a valley, and um, you're looking um, you're looking off into a sea of brown knee high prairie grass down below and then the incline starts to come back up as the range goes out farther and there starts to be trees uh dotting up as it's coming up the hill and down in the in the tall grass in the intermediate range i think the targets were probably from three to six hundred yards and there was four of them and the first two that were in the intermediate range were painted orange in a sea of brown and the long range ones were painted white under a shade line on a hillside with some kind of white limestone backdrop also. So they were just really hard to find. Um, I actually found the long range ones easier than the, the short range ones. And I timed out on that stage, which was a, a huge bummer, um, but I was by no means the only one <laughs> that day. Uh, I think there was, uh, there was only four or five guys that cleared it. I hit, I hit three of the four targets with three rounds and I timed out having never seen the fourth target. So that was awful. Yeah. It felt terrible. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, you know what? So did they do DNFs or was it just by points on that stage? Like if you didn't finish, cause some. It's a DNA, it's a 180 uh, time for that stage. A DNF. Okay. Yeah. So it doesn't matter whether you got three of them basically you dnf the same as everyone else i believe that's how it, how it works okay which because i was actually supposed to hear i was supposed to clear those four targets from three positions and i never made it to positions two or three <laughs> so technically i left so, yeah not already standing on that stage. yeah 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 that's uh that's one of the things you know some matches they it's dnf some you just you just get penalties um right. but it's so it sounds like a red dot uh, the uh, ACOG's probably not your ideal setup for for a match for that match. 
when I ran up to that stage, so you had to sprint up part of the hill to get to the shooting positions on Saturday. They took that out on Sunday, but um, when I got to the top of the hill and, and where I could actually see what should have been the array, I couldn't see a darn thing with my naked eye. I couldn't see any of the targets at that point. Once I found them, I I could kind of I could kind of see them, but boy, I think it would have been really challenging to hit them uh, with a one X anything. Yeah, I, I in general, it seems like, and I don't know if this is the sport or it's just my perception of it, but things are moving more and like having a low power variable optic really just makes sense. I mean, we're not shooting. If you were in a USPSA base stage, having a red dot may be faster. I've not seen a stage in three gun where I thought a red dot would be any faster than an LPVO. And then, but I have seen a lot where having magnification helped and really the dot on the pistol. I mean, I, I dotted a pistol for that, <laughs> for the sport, because I mean, we, we put targets out a little bit further, a little bit smaller and not that you can't do it with uh, iron sights, but man, just, you know, hiding that, you know, putting that, target right in the center of a big dot or something like that is oh yeah yeah definitely makes have, it easier i've not been able to actually um put to paper a difference between an lpvo at 1x and a holographic red dot um no I, and i and i've done drills with both and i can't be faster with the the holographic than i can with my normal <clears throat> mass rifle on 1x so. No, I, I don't think so. I've never seen it myself. Now, I don't do a ton of red dot shooting. So I guess someone could argue that maybe if you really, really shot a red dot a lot, you could. But um, I, I think it probably depends on your scope, too. You know, your 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 LPVO's reticle or whatever. But sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think if you're not using one, unless it's just like pure finance, like all you have is a red dot and that's what you're shooting right now, like go do that. But I, I don't see what spending a bunch of money on a red dot when there's some pretty affordable. <laughs> I think do, you use a Strike Eagle, don't you? I'm on a Strike. I'm on a Strike Eagle, so yeah. I'm yeah. On, on cheap, cheap uh, optics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I've I've kind of I've I've used a lot of cheap optics and kind of gotten to buy a little bit better optics just because I've had a, ability to find good deals on them. But uh, you know, the, like the Strike Eagle, people use that a ton in three gun. Yeah. They either work or, or they don't. You know, if they lose zero, you send it back and you get a new one. But they tend to, if they yeah, come from the factory them. working, yeah. I use them on my, uh, my, my Tipman 22 that I train with, and I use it on this mm. thing. And I, I bang them around uh, in both instances, and, mm. and they're not a problem. So I did have I did yeah. lose a, um, a battery ring cover uh, at this last match. But, shoot, I called them and uh, – <laughs> with one touch of the of the keypad to get to the right person i had the right person and yeah. they were super super friendly i thanked them for putting some stuff on the on the table while i had them on the line they sent me two instead <laughs> of one i had it in two days and they sent me a t-shirt yeah. it's like these guys are they're good to work with no Vor vortex is op awesome and I, i've known people that have had things go down i mean even like the razors like they're they're top of the line you know three gun uh, we beat them up, throw them in trash cans, and you know, crap happens because that's yeah. not what they're. And they've literally said like, "Hey, this isn't working," but like, I've got a big match next weekend, and Vortex is like, "All right, take it to this store, and they'll send it back." And once it's at that store, they're mailing them a brand new one just just to make sure that they've got 
you know, the optic that they're using in a match and, and stuff like that. So, so yeah, I mean, it's they're Yeah. They're, they're good people. So, and that's a good illustration. Always thank these people who sponsor these matches. Cause these companies, cause um, most of them do it. Yeah. It's advertising for them, but they're mostly doing it to help the sport out because the, you know, the return on investments usually hard to quantify. I think it's yeah. probably there, but I buy stuff that I see at matches more than I would buy. You know, if, if I got two comparable, if, if they sponsor a match, I'm going to buy from them. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's hard to quantify that return on investment. So definitely let them know. Yeah. I, I, I figure right now they're not throwing stuff on price tables because, <clears throat> uh, you know, it's stock they can't get rid of. I mean, I'm pretty <clears throat> sure they can sell this stuff. Yeah. Easily. So exactly, exactly. Really cool that they're still putting it on prize tables. Absolutely, yeah. I, I picked up some Vortex uh, binos that they had at, at Heartbreak, and like you said, I mean, they're they're just stuff's flying off the shelf. So, um, all right. So, uh, I guess we've kind of talked a lot about what you like. I'm looking through my notes here. Was there anything maybe um, say constructive criticism? Anything you'd change about the match? Anything you'd change about like? how you shot it, how you trained your, I mean, anything, you know, anything like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I did, I, it was a pretty insanely high failure rate on stages six and seven. I didn't, we didn't talk about seven, <clears> but seven was really tough too. And I think he did take a, a little bit of criticism after Saturday's match for, <laughs> for how <laughs> it was. And, uh, on Sunday stages, what were stages six and seven, were were still part of Sunday's match. They were they were two of the ones that did stay. Some of them changed entirely. Some of them um, the targets were in different spots, so you didn't really have an advantage. But six and seven were very similar, with the exception that the two or three targets that guys were having just a terrible time finding on Saturday were moved to places where they were easier to see. So um, I do think that there was probably some criticism for those and I, I i would probably be in that camp too it's not super fun to sit there and listen to the clock tick and just frantically search for something that as far as you can tell isn't even there <laughs> so that it's not my my favorite style of shooting that i've done i kind of like to go fast and and shoot a lot of stuff <laughs> but yeah, well, and so we've talked about this with some, because I, I run a, a local match, but as a match director, there's a couple ways, like sometimes we design stages that we think are very doable and just end up not being, you know, and you have this like real high failure rate. And like, I don't want to say that's a failing on the match director because you, you're trying things to make interesting and new and challenging, but like sometimes you try something, it's just, it doesn't work. And you, you kind of learn and it sounds, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure because uh, it sounds like he puts on a great match. He's taking all that feedback and, you know, most match directors are looking at the times and the numbers and seeing, you know, if I see a 90% failure rate, that tells me, all right, either the people shooting my match, you know, wherever the level is, whatever it is, I need to dial things back a little. Sometimes yeah. as a match director, you have something that you know is really, really hard and going to have a high failure rate and you do it anyways right. because – but for various reasons. I mean, I, I've done it just to say, hey, you know, this is stuff that everyone needs to be able to do better. So it, it's humbling. The flip I mean, side of me saying that I didn't like that experience was that I went away 
it, uh, well, if I went away from the stage extremely angry and then I kind of ran that off, but later on Saturday night, I was very highly motivated because I had a match the next day. I knew it was going to include a lot of the same stuff. I was going around asking guys that cleared that stage, what are you doing when you run up to the stage to, to increase your visibility, to take in uh, more of what's out there as you're coming up to the stage or, uh, you know, there's usually a run up to the shooting position. I was just, I was asking everything I could of those guys. Like, how are you, how are you seeing this? How can I see this better? So I was really highly motivated to get better at that. So, I mean, it, it's, it's good to have, have guys failing out on stuff that they're not very good at. Yeah. I, I did fix it to some degree. I cleared that stage the next day. Um, part of it, I changed out to clear lenses. And I think that was, I, I usually wear yellow lenses, which, in the green slash brown backdrops that we're used to, I think I've, I've liked them. But when everything is yellow, including the target, I don't think the yellow lenses were letting a lot show up for me. And then in addition to that, just um, being more aware on that run up to the sharding, the shooting position of trying to take in what you can on the way up before you actually try to get down in position. So, I mean, I learned from it, and that's the point of of – having stages that difficult so yeah oh for sure and i you know what like you you finish very high usually at every you know all the matches i can remember in the recent past and i tend to do pretty decent and um the thing is you shoot this these sports a while and it's like this with the three gun too like you get better and better that you don't have a lot of those stages where like so when you don't finish a stage it is a little a little jarring because you're just so used to like not just finishing but like finishing with plenty of time left and like you know you get good enough that things go smoothly so sometimes when it like it's just a train wreck and maybe you finish but it's just a huge train wreck it is a little bit of a uh a mental jolt that you're not you're not used to but i, I think it kind of makes it fun because like you said it, it's it's motivating yeah yeah <clears throat> Cause I, I mean I I timed out at heartbreak this year on the the I'll say long range stage it was only three hundred yards, and um and there was a couple reasons for that. Normally I shoot rifle distant rifle pretty well. I haven't really been practicing. Haven't really yeah. I mean there, there's I took quite a few takeaways from that. But that's I mean that's the last stage I haven't finished at a match and man I can't remember when I know uh well Legion uh, the last stage of the 10k at legion last year had a lot of people timing out on that one i mean good good long range shooters timing out on it so um yeah that stages like that are not a bad thing in a match really uh humble everybody <laughs> yeah yeah all <laughs> right so i guess uh, I what's that hanging off the bat i had it was just a really good experience all around uh, i love the terrain like we were talking about mm -hmm. earlier was, that was super fun for me. Um, I really can't think of much uh, in terms of criticism other than those uh, those killer stages. <laughs> yeah. So you change your glasses. So after going down there, is there anything you would change with your gear, maybe your training, or if you're going to do another one of those that you try to prepare yourself a little bit better? I'm going to try to find a way to work on – so – I have a place to shoot long range, which is I'm I'm fortunate to have that for sure. But it's pretty static. It's just basically one half mile stretch, just just flat as can be, and and uh, in a really tight, um, like I can't work a wide angle 
So, and there are some places where I think I would be able to, to do that. And I think I need to train for that. A lot of John's uh, stages had a, a really wide uh, field of engagement, I guess, where you had to, you had to take in a lot of, a lot of the range and find targets in a huge amount of space. And also to be able to work um, from mid-range targets, maybe even using a lower zoom on the scope and then immediately go out to long range and in some cases back and forth. That's something I need to work on um, because on my range, it's basically, you know, I can do different shooting positions, but I'm basically going to 8x and clearing the range um, at 8x. So it doesn't give me a lot of chance. And it's like I said, it's in one line straight out. So I'd like to, to find a way to get a little bit more dynamic um, intermediate and long range rifle training in. This is probably, I mean, this is probably not going to actually happen until next winter. I don't usually do a lot of that kind of stuff in the summertime, but um, but that's on my list for sure. And then I did, I have had, I think, five light strikes on my pistol since the beginning of the year. And that's in, a, that's in the course of a lot of rounds, but it's enough now that I'm, I know something needs to be addressed there too. So just to, in a, a, from a tooling respect, I need to figure out what, what's going on with that too. Okay. Yeah. That sounds like good takeaways. Yeah. That, um, I mean, target transitions and that's where a lot of these, I'll, I'll do my pitch for first focal plane scopes because everyone zooms in real, real high. Cause it's like, like if you got an eight X and it's second focal plane, that's all your drops, you know, your BDC or whatever works at. And, uh, just from shooting matches like rock castle, um, the, was it the thunder Valley, you would have targets out there all along this hillside. You know, it was similar. There's high grass. You know, it was like unmowed field. And yeah, if you tried to zoom in, I mean, I'd see guys 6x, 8x, and they do this where they're shooting and they pop their head up and yeah. they see that next target. And then they come over here and then they get down. And it's not always the most efficient. There are places for that. And I think, especially like the PRS guys do that when they've got their, you know, five to 25 scopes and, and you know, bigger. But it, it, 200 to 600 yards you know usually you can crank back to four five x and and see everything just well enough to 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 clear it so um yeah that's a good skill to to have and and to practice so yeah yeah and it, yeah and, and as well as uh the the gear i mean I don't think you you don't do anything real crazy like the race guns and stuff but um you, you see people really pushing their guns and doing all the little tweaking and you know running things with hair's edge and that doesn't work for the sport <laughs> my pistol's got an apex trigger in it but there again i've got an m&p on iron sights that's got the stock trigger the old stock trigger the the gen one stock trigger and i can't tell you that i'm faster with the apex but it, it sure does feel great for dry fire <laughs> Yeah, I, I I notice triggers dry fire or just messing with them more than uh, I, I've shot people's guns like in a match or at a range or whatever. They hand it to you and like I put some rounds like, wow, what'd you think of that trigger? I don't know. It it, it went off when I <laughs> when I pulled it. Like you know, unless it's like unless it's really really bad. Uh, yeah, but I, I at the same time I buy good triggers for my guns because there there are times where it's certainly an advantage, but at least with rifle. <laughs> Well, they just feel so much better. You can tell they feel better. I, 
necessarily yeah. it's going to translate to match performance, but it just feels so much better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if if it gets you to dry fire or um, practice, then right. I think that's what you've you've really. I know you've had a couple really good matches. Now you you dry fire a good deal, right? Is that what I heard? I think your wife was saying you even wake up early on. Well, I <laughs> a lot have of days. this this winter training. Mm. I have. Um, I started after I got out of the tractor in the fall with the uh, training program, knowing that I was already at that point signed up for this Texas race, and then I was I had heartbreak on the list at that point too. And then ended up adding in several, I knew I was going to hit it hard at the beginning of the year. So I started a, a training program and I did do an hour in the early morning. She gets up for work early. So I just basically switched over to her schedule and started getting up when she gets up. And, uh, it's, it's not, it's not fun, but, uh, um, I was the only way that I was actually going to do it. I've tried to drive fire before, like after work in the evenings and I'll, I'll be faithful with it for a little while. And then it'll just, I just won't do it. I just won't do it in the end. I had to do it first thing in the morning and, um, and actually get up for that reason. And then I actually made a regimen out of it. So I do an hour, um, six days a week, uh, in the morning. So I do pistol three days and rifle three days. And I did that. I did that all, all the way up to this Texas match and I'm, I'm off of it now. I'm, I'm going into my real world season, you know, spring and summer yeah. for that kind of stuff for me, but I can do it in the winter. And I did this year. So that's, <laughs> it's the first time I've committed to it that heavily. And the results were awesome. Honestly. I mean, I, I just shot better yeah. in terms of match performance than I ever had before. And it was at a time where I was dealing with some injury stuff on the running side of things and that that encouraged me to even to recommit to it even more because i knew at least for now i think i used to be able to drop a stage or two and and run away from it you know i could still place really well and be competitive with that stage drop but I can't right now. I, I'm I'm a fast runner right now, but I I can't drop a stage and and still be competitive at a match. So I knew I was going to have to get my shooting to where I could I could reliably not drop stages, you know, and in some cases be be really top competitive at the stages. So yeah, I, I, I mean, look, yeah, uh, and I think that's awesome. I mean, that's that's what this sport is about. Um, because yeah, you beat Brian Ray on quite a few stages at at Heartbreak. And for those that aren't familiar, like Brian Ray is a, a phenomenal shooter and he's a good runner. He's a, he's a tough competitor across the board, but, um, I think Brian was running heavy at heartbreak. I'm not sure of that, but, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I beating him is, even with heavy, it doesn't matter. <laughs> he's a tough, he's a, he's a tough competitor. So yeah. Cause you, you won heartbreak, right? You're in the light division. Yeah, first place light without the plus stuff. First place light minus is what I say. Yeah. Yeah. So you we'll get you in light uh, plus next year, right? I did light plus two years ago, the first year that they had it. That was enough. I, I figured it out. Then. Yeah. <laughs> um, how did you do then at this match? I didn't. I don't know if I looked at the results. At. At, at uh, the, the 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 fair ranch match. Yeah, I ended up. Um, I took uh, sixth 
place overall on Saturday and then third overall on Sunday. And it was, a, I think, a field of 130 on Saturday and 73 or four on Sunday. Nice. That's Yeah, that's very respectable. And then I'm yeah. assuming you probably had some faster run times in there. I was the fastest both days. Both days? Okay. That's what I thought because someone got on there trying to talk crap about they get more people through because Texas competitors were faster. And I was like, well, the guy that the guy that won runs all the East Coast events. So I, I don't know. <laughs> Push buttons and, and get yes, guys. he is. That's all he's doing. No, I, no, I know. I think, well, no, I mean, but you're right about like Greg. I think at Heartbreak, Greg was like, gosh, less than a, a minute behind you in the runtime. And did he may have been a little ahead of me. It was you were he was ahead of you, and you were like maybe yeah, you guys within a minute of each other. Yeah, he was very then, very close. He took first run first run time. Yeah, yeah, there was uh, there was a handful of people that were like right right there. I think Tim Cox was maybe up there. It was really close at the top. Yeah, it's um, uh, and that's been a change I think from past heartbreak. Yeah. Is, uh, yeah. Yeah. Because Tim can shoot. I mean, and Greg can shoot. I mean, all three of you guys can really shoot. So, um, yeah, it's getting. Daniel was up at the top, too, in the top three or four run times there, too. And, and Oh, uh, yes. Oh, yeah. I forgot. Yes. Daniel. Yeah. Daniel. I forgot. I shouldn't have forgot about Daniel. Daniel is a little jackrabbit as well. Yeah. And he's shooting the heck out of it too lately. So, yeah. Yes, he has. <clears throat> No, that's that's what I love about this sport. So for, when I got into it, I was slow, and, and I'm still slow, but my shooting was really good because I, I shot a ton of three-gun, and like especially at the time, it didn't take as much to be good at the shooting part. So I have focused really hard over the last like two years to really improve my fitness. And so now my run times are, are getting better. You know, I mean, I cut an hour, and, and – 2021 heartbreak was way different weather-wise, but like I cut more than an hour off my runtime at heartbreak this year. From 21 so, to you were an hour shorter on course. I, I think it was an hour shorter on the course. Yeah. Wow. And like, and I and I was training leading up to that, and some of that had weather and like hypothermia, but like, but I've really focused on that, and then the fitness part of it, I focused and like lifting, and so so it's like you bring that that fitness up. And it's like, okay, well, but now I got to bring my shooting back up because now I'm almost doing better at the, the running than I am the shooting because I've been, you know, it's, it's, it's great. It's, you, you have to focus. It's hard to focus on all of it. And you kind of have to inch, inch each of them up. So you've got me inspired. I, I've been dry firing a little bit, um, nice. a little bit more than I have. So because that's when I've dry fired in the past, I've gotten better. And, uh, and it's hard right now. Ammo's expensive, and you know I've I've got I don't have a lot of time to just hit the range, even if I could afford it. <laughs> uh, my dry but, fire is cheap though. Yeah, dry fire is super cheap, and it's actually in a lot of ways it's better than live fire because focus on a lot of the necessary components in dry fire. You can't get all of them, mm. but you can get a lot of no. them. No, so you might as well be really good at the ones that you can do for free. <clears throat> yep. Well, and rec rec yeah, recoil hot like recoil hides a lot of your sins. You know, when if you get a bad trigger pull, you don't always see it and just certain things you don't notice in live fire that um with 
you know, target transitions. I might not see that I'm pulling off that target early unless I just happen to, you know, you see the the paper or whatever. But but dry fire, I think you see a lot of little things like that more because you're not there's no explosion happening up in front of your face. <laughs> right. You know? Right. So all right, well we'll uh, we'll wrap this up. I guess is there anything else you wanna you wanna say before we uh, wrap this all up? No, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for letting me come chat with you. You know, thanks for th- thanks for doing it. I, I'm gonna try to get more of this. I I like I can't shoot as many matches as I, you know. If someone would pay for for me and fly me and my family, or you know, pay for gas, I'd I'd be shooting all these matches all over this country. But uh-huh. since uh since I'm self sponsored, <laughs> like most of the people here. It's uh, I got to live vicariously through uh, people who who shoot these. And um, I appreciate you talking about it. And I like the different perspective because I love East Coast matches and what we, we, you know, all the people around here are doing. But you just you get away from it. And I mean, just different terrain is awesome. I'm, I'm doing a match later this year in Michigan, which doesn't I mean, it's a six hour drive. It doesn't seem that far. There's sand everywhere. I mean, oh. the range is completely sand. Everything is. It, so um i'm gonna be yeah i'm gonna be changing it's not a it's a ruck and not a run but uh i'm i'm gonna be doing some training in sand and maybe some high grat you know because just running and and moving on that stuff is like it's so much more challenging <laughs> yeah, yeah so yeah yeah it, it's it's one of those you shoot a match you figure out the terrain and or what's different or what challenged you and you you say well i bet i could find you know, some, I'm sure if you look hard enough, you can find some rocky road near you to, to run down and really. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm fortunate to have a pretty good variety of places to, to run and train that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm confident going into a setting like that with <clears throat> tough footing, but yeah, you still had to really, well, I mean, even, even if you ran that kind of stuff all the time, you, you had to have your eyes glued on the terrain. Yeah. Every foot was coming down. So this this will be just before we get off. This will be a complete like side. So running, you run shoes, right? Like you run like a low top running shoe. I run a or, mid top. Um, okay. Trail running shoe, ultra Lone Peak trail runners with a mid top. So okay, run, okay. The uh, gaiters over them. Um, okay. So yeah, keep everything out. Okay, I I just wondered because there's. I've got a kind of a uh, bone of contention with a lot of, there's still a lot of people talk about these like wearing boots and like high things for ankle supports. And I'm kind of the, the opinion in my experience that once you do a lot of training and like you run on trails and that your ankles get strong enough that it, you're not really gaining anything from like a leather or, you know, higher. So I, I'm curious what you ran. I agree with that. I would be completely comfortable on that terrain with a low top trail. I, I've just always gravitated toward the mids because it's a little easier to keep garbage out of the out from getting from falling in. If you were that's a good point. Boots, you're probably you're probably fine. and you know it just keeps your ankles from getting tore up in thorns and and whatever else that we're going yeah. through. So I just a little more protection. But as far as ankle stability. Um, that's something you can do. You can, you can make gains on that in strength training time. And, um, you really shouldn't be dependent on your footwear for holding your ankles up on trails. That should be something that your body can do ideally. Yep. Yep. I agree with that. So I'm, I'm just curious and I've, 
I just actually got a pair of those ultra lone peaks, the the low top. So I'm probably going to pick up the gators for those because that I think that makes sense in a match to to have something like that. Even when I run in long, a lot of times I run in long pants, but I, I could see a benefit of of having that. So their own brand gators that have, that works yeah. with the points on those shoes. So that's definitely the way yeah, to go. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, because I got him and I saw a piece of Velcro on the back. And I'm like, what in the world is this, like, Velcro? And I, I talked to a guy at my work that does a lot of running. He's like, oh, yeah, they got a gator. I was like, yeah. That's yeah. pretty, that's pretty don't slick. Put them, <laughs> don't put them in the washing machine if you get some. I <laughs> doing that. You got to <laughs> wash them if they get dirty. <laughs> All right. Well, they my shoes stay dirty because where yeah, I'm at, it's it's, <laughs> it's it's muddy. It's muddy trails. All I do is trail run. I, I can't run on the road. I just, it like two minutes on a street makes me want to stop. So uh, everything <laughs> I do is, is muddy trails just all the time. So <laughs> yeah. I just, I just leave them dirty, but all right. Well, thanks again for uh, coming on. And uh, again, this show is sponsored by Primer and Co. They uh, made this uh, awesome heartbreak hoodie. You can buy that. Um, primerandco.com as well as all their other uh 2a accessories so um take a look and thanks for listening